Hello and welcome to episode 104 of My Circus, My Monkeys. I have a question for you. Do you feel like you're constantly putting out fires? Maybe so much so that you can't actually catch up or plan ahead? If you answered yes, or even, uh, well, not all the time, but definitely more than I should be, I'm not surprised. Many of the supervisors I talk to spend way too much of their time and energy doing just that. Today, we're going to dig into all of this firefighting. So if you want to stop running from crisis to crisis and instead create the future that you want, stay tuned. You're listening to My Circus, My Monkey. The podcast for supervisors in education or any field that emphasizes growth and development. If you want to reign in the chaos and transform your team to better serve your students and clients, keep listening. This podcast explores essential information on supervision, employee engagement, and using a strengths-based framework to empower you and your team. We'll examine the latest research in psychology, neuroscience, education, and beyond to help you and your team get to the next level with your host, Ann Brackett, the Chief Engagement Officer of Strengths University. When you think about really being successful in your role, what does that look like? I'll give you a moment to picture it in your mind. Now, I'm guessing for many of you, It would look something like having a comprehensive program that allows you to both support your students and create a positive, supportive environment for you and your team. Your day-to-day routine might vary, but overall, you'd feel confident that you had a plan in place for most situations, and you'd have the time in your schedule to keep up with your work, plan ahead, and calmly pivot as things changed or the unexpected happened. How does that sound? Pretty nice, right? Now, some of you who've been in the field a while might remember a time when you could actually do that. Yes, we've always worn many hats, but there were times when you didn't question having time for lunch or a coffee break. You changed hats throughout the day, but didn't have to worry about those hats coming home with you at night. Unfortunately, that's not been the case for most of us for quite a while. And if you're relatively new to higher ed, It might seem like things have always been this way. So what's going on? Surely living life like this isn't effective in the long run. I mean, today's fire might be put out, but is it really? Or is it just smoldering underground and waiting to pop up again somewhere else? I think the quote by Desmond Tutu nicely sums up this problem. There comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. If we want the fires to stop, the question we really need to be asking is what's causing all of these fires in the first place? So today we're going to talk about three main causes of said fires, the culture of higher ed, fight or flight, and our stories. So the culture of higher ed is a complex beast, but at the heart of it is sacrifice for students. Now at a certain level, it turns into a numbers game, right? enrollment, retention, endowment, etc. But where most of us operate, we focus on how we can serve students so they can be successful, even at the cost of our and our team's well-being. 
I mean, why else are we coming in early, staying late, bringing home work, and all the other things that drain us of our time and energy? It's because we need our students to do well. Again, in part because of the numbers, which we'll get to next, but most of us truly want to help our students succeed. And that often means doing everything we can think of, even if our schedule is already crammed full of the last batch of things we thought of. The culture of higher ed didn't start with us, but we perpetuate it when we buy into the status quo. We tell ourselves that this is just the way it is, and we need to get on board to be successful at whatever institution we're at. This culture thrives on folks being unable to set healthy boundaries. So many people we work with have difficulty saying no or advocating for themselves and even their staff. When your supervisor tells you to create or implement a new program, even though everyone's already overwhelmed, what do you do? When someone resigns and you're told there's no money to hire their replacement, so the rest of the team will have to absorb their work, what do you say? When a team member comes to you and says they just can't keep working at this pace, what do you tell them? Most of us suck it up and give our team the bad news. And if someone's struggling, how many of us empathize and then say something positive about how they should just keep swimming or things will get better after we finish, fill in the blank. Now, I'm not judging. We're trained to be professional and to do what's needed to support these students. That's how they get us, since everything can be tied back to helping students. The implication is always, if we do these things for the students, our numbers will get better, and then we can give you a raise, a promotion, or let you hire someone. But at the end of the day, your institution is a business. If you prove you can do the work of five people with three, why would they give you more people? And we, incredibly caring professional folks, just keep proving that we can do more with less. So there's no urgency to give anyone more of anything. But why can't we say no? Why don't we set healthy boundaries for ourselves and for our teams? Well, part of it is that most of us have never been taught how to set them. But another factor is related to my next main point. The vast majority of us are stuck in fight or flight, both institutionally and as individuals. Again, back to all these urgent needs for higher retention, enrollment, etc. On one level, we know that our institutions are a place of privilege, but at the same time, all we get are messages about how dire our situation is. I mean, how many times have you been told how urgent enrollment or retention is to your institution? And when I say urgent, I mean implying that there will be hiring freezes, raise freezes, or even layoffs if things don't improve. And when that happens, what's your visceral response? Do you have a sinking feeling in your stomach? Does your heart start to race? Does your mind jump to, whatever will become of me if I lose this job? Or maybe, I can't let my team lose their jobs. It's my responsibility to make sure they don't. Those messages, and our stories, but we'll talk about that next, kick on our sympathetic nervous system, otherwise known as fight or flight. On top of all this, Some of you are dealing with this pressure and an ineffective supervisor who isn't supporting you the way that they should. And when I say ineffective, I am mostly being polite. 
This can range from well-intentioned, but not particularly competent, all the way to toxic boss. I had an ineffective supervisor at my last institution. In fact, they were toxic because they were well-intentioned but incompetent. I'll call them Supervisor X. This individual is very student-focused, and by that, I mean the student, no matter what they wanted, came first, no matter what the policies or even common sense dictated. No matter what I told the student, if they didn't like my response, they'd often go to Supervisor X and they'd give them whatever they wanted. I have strategic in my top five, and it was constantly triggered by this dynamic. A student would come to me with a question or concern, and instead of being able to do my job and move on, I'd fixate on how I could deal with the situation without getting Supervisor X involved. I vividly remember going to my coworkers to explain the ridiculously intricate plan I'd concocted, and they would just look at me, wondering what the hell I was talking about because the thing I should do was so simple. But I couldn't focus on that because what if Supervisor X gets involved again? So what was my problem? I was stuck in fight or flight. And the thing about fight or flight is it's a physiological response. That's our sympathetic nervous system in action. It hijacks your body and brain and is only focused on how you can survive this crisis, even if objectively there isn't a crisis. In this case, I told myself it was critical to keep Supervisor X out of these situations or there would be terrible consequences. As a result, if they did get involved, or I thought they might, my brain and body would make terrible decisions and waste so much time and energy. And this happened on an almost weekly basis. So even if it had been a while since Supervisor X got involved in something, my brain was always on high alert for the next time. It was exhausting and resulted in some poor decisions on my part. And those decisions were usually short-term solutions that got me out of the situation temporarily, aka temporarily putting out the fire, but in the long run were not effective. I would decide, think, and do things that normal me would never do. Think about a drowning person. When I was training to be a lifeguard, they told us that we had to be careful when approaching a drowning person because they often attack the person coming to rescue them. The drowning person is so desperate to survive, they'll grab on and push the lifeguard underwater. Now, thinking about this from the safety of your office or car, wherever you are, you know that drowning the person there to help you would mean you'd both die. But to the drowning person's brain, their panicked body just climbs on top of anything nearby to get out of the water for even a few seconds. The fact that this person will die and you'll be in the same situation is irrelevant because only right now matters. The only way out of the situation is by getting out of fight or flight. Sometimes you can do this by resolving the issue and sometimes resolving it by making a terrible decision that only temporarily solves the problem. Or you can break out of it by breaking the stress response cycle through meditation, breathing, or really anything that will help you flip the switch so your parasympathetic nervous system, or rest and digest, takes over. We do not perform at our best when we're in fight or flight. We just survive. 
when the institutional culture is one that stresses personal sacrifice and pushes messages that everything's urgent, we live in a constant state of stress. We run around putting out all these fires so no one loses their jobs or fails out of college, and we all become homeless vagrants. Our rational brain knows that's unlikely to happen, but when you're in fight or flight, it's absolutely that traumatic. It's one of the reasons you have trouble setting boundaries. Your freaked out brain immediately goes to, I can't say no or establish realistic expectations because I'll get fired, which means I'll lose our house and we'll have to live in our car unless that gets repossessed too. Oh no, I better just do it. And that brings us to my last main point. The thing that drives all of this are your stories. You're the one who attaches meaning to people, things, and situations. I had a string of stories that made me believe that Supervisor X becoming involved in any situation was going to be catastrophic. For example, I believe that all students should be held to the same standards relating to policies and rules. I believed it was a reflection on me when this didn't happen. I believed it was therefore my duty to do everything humanly possible to keep Supervisor X out of it. This kept me on high alert most of the time, aka in fight or flight, which was exhausting on so many levels. Eventually, I just gave up because I realized how much energy I was wasting. I didn't quit right away, but I knew this wasn't sustainable. So I changed the stories I told myself. Instead of fighting, I told myself that at the end of the day, Supervisor X is the one who's in charge. Unless someone's life was in danger, I'll just stay out of the way and let Supervisor X decide what they want to do. If a student came to me, I'd probably explain the policy and what I could do, but then say, but if you don't like that, just go down the hall and see Supervisor X. Sometimes I wouldn't bother explaining the policy at all and just tell them to talk to them. It took exhaustion to get my mindset to shift, but it really was liberating once I did. Nothing they were doing changed, but the meaning I gave it changed. Now, this didn't fix everything. It was still a toxic environment, but it freed up a lot of energy that I could use for other things, including planning my next steps, which ultimately led me to start Strengths University. You have stories about everything, including what it means to be a professional, what and who you're responsible for, what it means to be a good supervisor, when you should sacrifice, what you should sacrifice, what it means to be a good parent or partner, what self-care means and whether or not you deserve any. Those stories reflect your beliefs, trigger your emotions, and drive your behaviors. Problem is that just because you believe something doesn't mean it's true. That means that some of your stories are limiting. Those stories set the parameters for your sympathetic nervous system so they can trigger your fight or flight response, even though other folks wouldn't see that situation as being stressful at all. Again, my colleagues looked at me like I was being crazy when I would come up with elaborate schemes to keep Supervisor X out of a situation because they didn't see what the big fuss was. The fuss was something I'd constructed in my head. That's what sends you into fight or flight and makes everything seem like a crisis. That's why it seems like you're always putting out fires. Yes, sometimes there are legitimate fires, but more often than not, 
They're the result of the meaning you've assigned to a situation, which may have been inflamed, pun intended, by the higher ed culture and your sympathetic nervous system. That student who's at your door and upset about a professor, their roommate, their grades, whatever, it seems urgent because your brain goes, OMG, if they transfer, or if their parents call my supervisor, or if they complain to Supervisor X, I'm going to get fired, lose my house, insert other terrible thing. So you're obviously going to drop what you're doing to take care of this fire. But most of the fires we put out aren't fires at all. You just perceive them as fires because of the culture and your stories around the situation. Back to my earlier quote, you're pulling people from the river who aren't actually drowning. You just believe they are. There might also be some people in there who are drowning because of the short-sighted decisions you or other people around you made to put out a previous fire, which again goes back to that idea that fight or flight impacts how you do your job and the quality of that work. But in order to stop this cycle, there are a few things you can do. Now, these are in no particular order, but they are often linked. So think about them collectively if you can. One important thing you and your team can do is to take the time and define what actually constitutes an emergency, aka a fire, aka someone drowning. We react in the moment, driven by our, our stories and the culture. There's usually nothing to help us refocus that energy once it happens and fight or flight kicks in. But if you decide that a fire, something that deserves your immediate att- attention, is say, anything that involves loss of life or property damage. Now suddenly you have a baseline for you and your team to check yourself against. Someone comes in all worked up about whatever, which normally would trigger you into action. Instead, you ask yourself, is anyone's life in danger? Will property be damaged if I don't act now? If the answer is no, then you can let that person know they'll need to make an appointment so you can give them your undivided attention. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know I'm a huge advocate of frequent, consistent one-on-one meetings with your team members. That way, they don't have to make an appointment, but rather, you can ask them to wait until their next meeting with you. For students or other folks, that might seem a little bit trickier, again, depending on the stories you have around those people, but it really isn't. You just need to decide ahead of time how those situations will be handled. Do they need to make an appointment with you? online, through your assistant? Do you have several people who answer the same questions for students? If so, could you have them each man a help desk for a few hours a day? That way students always have access to the information. No, not necessarily from their normal contact person, but they have the option of setting up an appointment if talking to that person is important to them. And this, this doesn't need to disrupt those important relationships. But rather, it allows you and the folks on your team to have uninterrupted time to get things done. I've mentioned before that it takes on average about 23 minutes to refocus after an interruption. So if you or your team are constantly interrupted, that means you're never focusing and never really getting anything done. And the key to all of this is to define issues and their level of importance then you need to set up appropriate systems to handle each of those situations. Right now, you and your folks are likely stuck in fight or flight. 
So you're going to default to whatever seems like the biggest threat to your safety. Objectively, a student knocking at your door with a question or problem may not seem like a threat. But if you believe the only thing standing between you and losing your job is retention, and customer service is key to retention, you're going to have a hard time not helping that student now. Multiply this by a dozen students plus your staff members each day, and you're not going to get much done. Not to mention, this perpetuates this unhealthy culture and the fight or flight response. The last thing I want to mention is challenging those stories. Hopefully you've been able to see how those stories can easily trigger your fight or flight response. Whenever you feel a sense of obligation, like you have no choice in the matter, you need to question that thought. It shows up in statements like, I should, I must, or I have to. Let's say your supervisor tells you that they need you to implement a new program, even when you're already unable to get the things you currently have on your plate done. You might automatically think, my team's going to be so upset, but we have no choice. We have to do it. Do you? Are you and your team responsible for unreasonable amounts of work that drive you and your team to the brink of exhaustion? What would happen if you said to your supervisor, you know, that does sound important. Unfortunately, we're already stretched too thin right now. If this is a priority, we can put some other things aside and focus on this new initiative. Can you tell me what you'd like us to put on the back burner so we can do X? Now, if this isn't a priority, it's going to have to wait until we finish blank or hire more people. Now, this may seem like an outrageous thing to say. If so, it's because of your stories. Some people actually do this on a regular basis. Now, does that mean your supervisor is going to love this response? Maybe not, especially if you've always just made things work in the past. But that's what setting boundaries is. You need to know what you and your team need to perform at your best. Then you set boundaries to make sure you get those things. The current higher ed culture thrives on folks sacrificing themselves and not having boundaries. It reinforces your stories about self-sacrifice. But if you want things to change, you have to start changing how you respond to this culture and to this level of stress. You need to change your stories. You need to manage your stress so you're not so easily triggered by the people and situations around you. And you have to advocate for yourself and your team. If you want to be successful, you need to create the environment and culture you envisioned at the beginning of this episode when I asked you what success would look like. If you want to be able to focus on planning and implementing programs that actually address core issues to support your students, while at the same time having a positive, supportive environment for you and your team, you cannot depend on your supervisor, the administration, or HR to change things for you. They are stuck in fight or flight too. You have the ability to create that change. You just have to challenge yourself to do so. As always, Alicia and I are here to support you as you reflect on where you are and where you want to go. One great way to invest in yourself and your team is to join us for the summer cohort of the Supervisor Strengths Institute. We are revamping the Institute this summer to make it even more manageable for your busy schedule. It is the same great content, but we've condensed it 
so you can work through each week's modules and start implementing change even faster. We know that life can too easily get in the way of you staying on track, so we've also added a bonus for everyone who completes all eight weeks of learning. You will get an additional 60 minutes of our time, and you can use that for more individual coaching, a short team session, or to receive a discount on a longer team workshop. Our Summer Institute starts on May 28th. Go ahead and register now. Check it off your list. We want you, your team, and your students to shine their brightest. And that starts with you. So join us for the Summer Institute using the link in the show notes. Or if you have questions about the Institute or other services, contact us at Anne, and that's A-N-N-E, at strengthsuniversity.org. Thanks for listening to My Circus, My Monkey. You can find this episode's transcript and links as well as other episodes on our website, www.strengthsuniversity.org slash mycircus. If you found this podcast valuable, please share it with your friends and colleagues so we can empower and support supervisors everywhere. Finally, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.